Well, good morning. Uh, for those of you who are brand new, my name is Danny. I'm one of the pastors here at Kesset. I'm going to be sharing with you. Uh, we're really excited that you came. Today's a great Sunday to visit or watch online, and uh, it's, just, it's just a powerful series. Uh, last week in Dragons and Dandelions, we talked about God's savage generosity and, and what it means to really receive from him uh, the blessing of, of his uh, pursuance, right, of us. And this week, we're going to talk about our pursuit of God and our pursuit of this part we play within the story that we call faith. Uh, the series, let me give you the quote, really every single week has been about something along those lines, and it's this, Dragons and Dandelions is a teaching series built around learning to face through Christ and together the big and small difficult to overcome struggles within our lives. And that's what we're trying to do, that's what we're hoping to accomplish. And, and these things I described in my own way as dragons and dandelions. Dragons are the big things that come roaring in, the things that are life changing, the things that show up and really just cause you to step way back into your own self and ask hard questions. Uh, they're, they're, they're trauma, they're, they're experiences that you didn't expect. And then you have dandelions, and the dandelions are the things that are growing up slowly all around you, much of it your own reoccurring choices. They, they, they get killed off and they get mowed away, but then they, they're just right back there just a few weeks later. And that's one way of understanding this. During the 9 o'clock service, someone came in the back and they said, my friends are here to visit. And she said, but they think the series is called Weeds and Things. So I told them, that's not what it's called. But for the sake of them who were here last service, I said, we could call it Weeds and Things because it's really the same idea, right? That we all struggle with weeds right around us and things that roar and cause problems into our life, but the series can be translated however you want, because we all deal with this stuff, and that's the idea of the series, is that we all deal with this stuff, and if it wasn't for God's savage generosity, we wouldn't have any uh, ability to pursue him in faith and experience what that looks like. The kingdom of heaven, this thing that God has laid out before us, isn't something that just happens to us. It's something that we are supposed to go look for like a treasure. Let me show you this verse, Matthew 13, 44 through 46. It says, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, with a man, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who, on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. The kingdom of heaven is out there, and there is a responsibility on your part, even though God is savagely and generously searching for you, to stop, turn around, and look like a treasure, like a pearl, like something far off that is distant, that is yours if you want it. But you don't just get to walk through life and hope the kingdom of heaven bumps into you one day and then invites you to coffee and then shares the story with you and you're like, oh, that sounds good to me. It says it is something that you have to seek after. And when you seek after, the Bible says, you will find it. I'm not sure anyone in the Bible pursued the kingdom of heaven or what we're calling faith with more fervency than Peter the apostle. I don't know if anybody really believed that this existed more than him with how he lived, with how he uh, failed with how he succeeded. I'm not sure anybody was more honest about the ugliness of what that search actually looked like. Look at his calling by Jesus. Even his calling is strange. Matthew 4, verse 18 through 20 says that while walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, 
Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. Tradition has it that Peter owned that boat, that him and his brother uh, were, were really generational uh, fishermen, and that they probably were fishing in the, fa- in the boat of their fathers and grandfathers. And when Jesus comes along and says, hey, Peter, follow me. Something in Peter's life, he realizes that's treasure. That's the pearl. That's for me. And he drops everything else and he goes. Now, we as church people have taken this and said, this is what faith is. And it is. Partly. Faith is jumping out of the boat of what you know. Faith is stopping to ask different questions about what generationally has been passed down before you. This is how you fish. This is how you fish. This is how you fish. Follow Jesus. How, what? Like, that's not, that's not my grandfather and father's father and father's father. That's not, no, I'm a fisherman. And Jesus says to him, yes, you are a fisher of men. He says, I'm going to change what's been generationally your image. I'm going to change what's been generationally your calling. And he said, and I'm going to use it to do something incredible in your life. And Peter just goes. He just goes. He just drops the boat, drops the rope, and says, I'm in. Where are we going, Jesus? He wants that treasure He wants that pearl. He wants that kingdom of heaven, and he believes. Now, here's the thing about faith. Faith is a big word, and faith is a word that has been used to hurt a lot of people. A lot of people have been damaged by the word faith because they were told that things have happened in their life because they didn't have enough of it. They've told they've been sick because they didn't have enough faith. They're poor because they didn't have enough faith. Something happened to someone else because they didn't believe God could or God would or or God should. And and faith has been used to traumatize and damage people in all kinds of ways. And so I'm here today to recognize that. I'm here today to say I get that. There's a small part, not a huge, but a small part of my story that faith has been used to abuse and manipulate and push me into doing things even in the church world I didn't want to do because if I hadn't have done it, I would have shown and proven that I didn't have enough faith that God could or God would. But I want to show you what the Bible describes faith really like, and I want to use the same guy, Peter, the one who went after it, the one who believed it, the one who started like the church has taught all Christians should. I'm in, I'm done, I'm all for you, Jesus. I'm out of the boat, the generations of of brokenness are over, and I'm a disciple of Jesus, marching wherever Jesus goes, going wherever Jesus goes, let's do it. Fast forward a few years with Christ. Jesus performing miracles, Jesus healing people, Jesus doing all kinds of incredible things. Eventually, Jesus performs this incredible miracle and feeds thousands of people. Thousands of people are fed by Jesus and the apostles are watching. And then Jesus says, it's time now for us to leave the crowd. So you get into the boat and step out and I'm going to go spend some time on the mountain and then I'll come out and meet you. And so the disciples get in the boat and they wait and they wait and they wait. No Jesus. Let's read Matthew chapter 14 starting at verse 22. Uh, Verse 18. Well, verse 22. Immediately he made the disciples get into the boat Go before him to the other side, while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. 
But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And then here comes Peter. And Peter says and answers, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. And Jesus says, come to me. Jesus says, follow me to here. And so Peter looks around at the other disciples like it's about to happen. They're sitting in this wavy boat. They see the ghost of Jesus out in the distance. They can't really tell clearly that it's him, but they recognize his voice. The voice says, come to me. Peter says, I'm already followed him for these past few years. And so he puts his foot out. We never really soak this stuff in, but he puts his foot out on the waves, and they're firm. Imagine the disciples like, and Peter's like, sorry, me first. You guys didn't, you didn't ask. You didn't ask. You didn't ask. No, Matthew. No, Matthew. Just go, right? It's not your turn. It's not always about you, John. Loved, most loved. Okay, it's about me right now. It's about me. Here I come, Jesus. And he starts walking out, right? He starts walking out. He sees Jesus. As he gets closer and closer to Jesus, though, the waves get bigger and bigger. The wind gets more and more, and he gets distracted. Maybe he loses Jesus in the fog. Maybe he loses the boat in the fog. Maybe he's just standing by himself in the middle of the storm on water. Like, this is not good. Right? Maybe he can't hear anything but the howling of that wind and feel that rain upon his face. So Peter gets out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Peter wants to be where Jesus is. So he steps out. And this is faith. He moves in full faith to where Jesus is. He is confident. He is excited. He is like the church has been telling Christians they should be. He moves like four, five, 10, 15, 20, 25 steps, and suddenly he's blinded. Suddenly he's fearful. Suddenly he's ignorant of where God is. Suddenly he's tearful. And suddenly he starts to drown. Guess what, folks? This is what faith is. This is the whole picture right here. The church just uses this little part to manipulate you. Oh, you guys are struggling with your mortgage. You got to have more faith. Yeah, but it's cold outside right now. Oh, you, you got laid off. That's probably because you didn't have enough faith. The worst ever. I, I'm, I'm, the closest I've ever been to violence in my life was when I heard a preacher tell someone that I loved that uh, the reason they were sick is because they didn't believe enough. And then I was going to say, the reason you went to heaven is because I lost my temper and killed you, right? Because I, I, that is such terrible, terrible theology. Like, like, do you know how many sick people there are in the Bible? Do you know how many times Jesus sat and healed people, healed people, and then it says, and then he left? You put together, right? That means the whole city still had people who were sick that stood in line. I mean, we get frustrated about standing in line when the concert sells out. When you're carrying your baby girl so she can walk again, and you're five people from Jesus, and he's like, no, nah, we're done today. I've healed all I'm supposed to. Are you serious right now? I came from, are you serious? My little girl, this is, this is crazy to tell people. Jesus didn't heal everyone. Jesus did not do that. That is not what happened. He healed who he chose to heal, and he didn't heal who he didn't choose to heal. And the reality is sickness happens because dragons and dandelions live in this broken world that I live in. This is faith. Up to your neck, in water, drowning, doing exactly what Jesus called you to do. Like, soon it, wait, wait, 
So you call me to this other country to be a missionary. You call me to marry this woman. You call me to have these kids. I get to the other country. This is crazy town. All my support leaves. My wife is insane and my children, I don't even want them. They're all blessings from God, right? They're all blessings from God. Do you know why you struggle? Because you didn't have enough faith. No, Peter just didn't see Jesus and go, I'm out, guys. He said, if you call me, I'll come to you. Jesus, very, very messianic. Peter, come to me. He called me. Boom, I'm in. 15 steps in, and the waves come. Why didn't Jesus just call him the waves? Why didn't he just bring up the sun? Why didn't he do a million different things than let Peter drown? He said, I'm supposed to do this. He said, I'm supposed to plant a church. He said, I'm supposed to be married. He said, I'm supposed to live my life this way. But when it gets too hard, then all of a sudden we blame it on the waves and all this stuff. And eventually we blame it on Jesus because if he just would have told me, I never would have got out of the boat in the first place. (laughs) See, my prayer right now is that some of you are so bothered by realizing you've lived your life both inside the boat, too afraid to get out, or outside the boat blaming Jesus for the fact he called you where you are. Either way, you're not responsible. Let's just be honest about it. You live a life where you're not spiritually responsible because stuff happened to you. And since stuff happened to you, or since Jesus didn't call me out, or since I was called out by Jesus, now the waves are here, apparently Jesus doesn't see what's going on in my life. When in reality, all Jesus wants is for you to say, save me, save me. This marriage is too hard. This church is too hard. These kids are way too hard. Save me, save me, save me. And it doesn't say Jesus started asking questions. It doesn't say that he pondered. It doesn't say that he was like, what? No, it says immediately. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and took a hold of him, saying to him, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshiped him, saying, truly are you truly you are the son of god i love this picture by the way because i want you to hear it i want you to see it i want you to smell it if you can (laughs) jesus climbs over the boat pulls peter over you've got you know like like 11 dry disciples jesus whose feet are only wet and peter who's just drenched just all sitting in the boat you got the guys who didn't ask you got the guy who did ask and failed and you got the guy in the middle of them both saying hmm hmm like, what's the lesson here? What's the lesson here? Jesus continues to teach them, of course, that this story is a very raw and real picture for all time of everyone's faith journey. So much of our faith feels just like this, like we're searching in the dark places because we are. The church has broken what the picture of faith looks like. This is what faith looks like. It doesn't look like this beautiful thing where Jesus is petting a lamb and feeding everybody bread and fish. That's what you imagine. I hope it shatters today. This is what faith looked like, okay? It even says it in Acts 17. Paul says, and he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place jesus is god is in charge he knows what he's doing and listen to how he describes how those people live that they should seek god and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him yet he is actually not far from each one of us 
Acts 17, 27, different versions says, so that they might look for God, somehow reach for him and find him. The idea is that we are groping in the dark for Jesus because we're in a boat of our own making. Jesus is this mystical ghost-like, let's call it the Holy Spirit figure out in the distance, calling us to come to him. We step out, and as soon as we step out, we're like living the life. We're like, at least we're not like those fools just doing the same old thing. We are following you, Jesus. Wave. Well, that's not a big deal because my God's in charge of all the waves. Like, he has all the cattle, but, but you know what? I, now that I think about it, cattle don't swim much, and that's a big old wave right there. Wave. Wind. Next thing you know, you're up to your waist and problems, and you're trying to figure out, what is happening? And I got out of the boat of, of normalcy over here that all my friends are pretending they enjoy as they row in circles, wondering where they're going to, which is nowhere, by the way. And I'm trying to make it to this figure out here who's calling my name, and I'm getting smacked, and I'm getting hurt, and I'm getting traumatized. And that's exactly what Jesus says faith feels and looks like. Christ says faith is so often lived in this place that you really should just get used to it. Paul says in 2 Corinthians, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. Why do we need mercies and comfort? Because we live in storms and waves. This God who comforts us all in our affliction, that's a stormy word, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction. With the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God, for as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. Jesus is saying quite simply, the world is going to damage you. Dragons and dandelions are coming. This is what it means to be in a fallen world and in a broken world. And this is what Jesus came to face. He reminds you over and over and over again that this is, this is what it means to get out of the boat of comfort. John 15, if the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, out of the boat. Therefore, the world hates you. Of course, the world's going to mess with you. It wants you to live your life in your little boat of nonsense that you can control out in the storm in a circle. Convinced you're going somewhere you're not going. The world's entire point, Jesus says, is to bring life-ending trauma into your story. It's the purpose of the world, is to mark you in such a way that like Jesus says to Peter when he pulls him in soaking wet, you are now marked by doubt. You have now doubted. Because you walked out and have been traumatized, you have now doubted. So much of the trauma in our lives is reflected and being poured out of our lives daily through doubt. We saw a broken marriage of our parents, so now we refuse to get married. Or, or we don't invest as much in our marriage. We saw a broken system over here, so we decide that system must be the system. So we, we, we react by spinning away from the system completely. Or even worse, we dive into the system to prove it can be done. This is what Jesus is addressing. This trauma that people are experiencing that then brings doubt into their story. And so Christ does for Peter what he does for us. He comes to put an end to the broken storm system, but not by making it go away, instead by entering directly into it. We pray that Jesus would take our storms away. And then he doesn't take the storms away, and then we're hurt, and then we're traumatized, 
and then we doubt him. When instead, we're supposed to pray, Jesus, where's your voice within this storm? Where are you? Because I need saving. Christ came to bring redemptive healing to the wounds of our heart. Redemptive healing to the wounds of our heart. Isaiah 44, 22 says, I have blotted out your transgressions like a cloud and your sins like mist. Return to me for I have redeemed you. I love this verse because it's a very stormy verse. Jesus doesn't say, I have blotted out your, tra- your transgressions like a new sunrise and your sins like crystal clear seas. He says, no, I entered right into your storms. I entered right into your story. And through mist and cloud and the experiences that you've had, I came to redeem those things. I came to renew those things. See, all of us, we all have this need to address these wounds. We all have this need to address this, these, this trauma in our lives. The things in your life, we've talked about this in the series. Go back and listen to it. The things in your life that you respond to the greatest are more like, most likely directly connected to your trauma story. So that's just the truth of it. That's just how it works. And oftentimes the church makes us pick between psychology and spirituality when you don't realize that God invented it all. He's the one who designed your brain. He's not confused. He understands that that if you don't get redeemed and get a new version and a new purpose, that what you're going to do is reenact. What you're going to do is move closer to an unhealthy point or move so far away like I have around money in our church that it becomes an unhealthy point. See, what you're seeing on stage earlier during the update is a man who is choosing to allow God to redeem what it means to be a good financial steward of church funds. I'm choosing to be redeemed, but I recognize because of this series and some work that I've done on myself that my whole human self has to be present and I have to admit, I don't like it. I do not like it. I get a talking to you ever got a talking to as, a, as an older gentleman from another and slightly older gentleman than you? A talking to about how often I talk about money in the church. And every time, I, I mean, I'm so humble about so many other things in my life. You could probably tell that from stage. <laughs> but when it comes to money, right, it, I'm like a kid with broccoli. I'm like, mm-mm, mm-mm, mm-mm. It's like, Danny, listen, it's time. You need to talk about this. Like, mm-mm, mm-mm, mm-mm. And it's It's terrible. It's terrible. It's my stuff. I'm reenacting instead of redeeming my stuff. And so God comes and he wants to help us. He wants to walk us out, understanding we are people who reenact, but he is the one who offers redemption. He is the one that offers truth. Because we need to realize, and I'll put it on the screen, without redemption, we are left with only our reenactment, which is why so many of you continue to circle around and you struggle to pursue the treasure that is faith because you have to keep reenacting the stuff that has brought so much doubt in your life. And doubt and faith don't work that well together. Like doubt and faith, are they're not good bunk mates. And so you can't get rid of the doubt because you keep reenacting the stuff in your life that first brought that doubt. And God's like, just let me redeem it. Let me just redeem it. Just, just step out of the boat and come to me. Wait till you get up to your neck in all your problems and then cry out, save me. Let me redeem you. And you're like, yeah, no, that didn't work out last time. I'm just going to keep rowing here in a circle. Let me show you what this looks like, this reenactment and redemption piece. And we'll use Peter. Jesus Christ has been drug away. His story on earth has, has come to a climactic ending with him dying on a cross 
all the apostles, the disciples, the followers of Jesus, they're all humiliated. They're all spread all over the place. And so they do what broken people do when their worlds fall apart. They go back to what they know. They reenact. And so Peter goes back to his boat. Probably not even his boat at this point. Now he's even lower. He's got to rent a boat. Now he's a rent a fisherman. The worst kind. He gets out in the boat. It's not even his boat. He's out there and he's doing his thing. And he's with a few of the disciples and they're probably talking like I would be. Can you believe we followed this guy around for a few years? Do you know how much bigger my boat empire would have been if I wouldn't have spent all my time with him? How do you think he did those things that he did? I don't know. I still think maybe, maybe there's more. Maybe. I don't know. All I know is I got to catch enough fish today to pay for this stupid boat because I left my other one on the shore when I followed Jesus. All of a sudden, there's a figure. It's kind of ghostly off in the distance. Very similar. They can't really see who he is. They can't really tell who he is. But they hear him. And they hear him ask a question. Verse 4. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Very similar to the earlier story, is it not? Peter's in the boat. Jesus is distant. Jesus said to them, Children, do you have any fish? And I've said this before. Uh, I think it's just amazing that Jesus even asks questions. Like, wait, like he's, he's Jesus, and he's just, it's like he just wants you to know that he knows that you don't know anything. He's like, do you have any fish? Just remind you that you don't. <laughs> no, I don't, I don't, I don't, we don't, we, we don't have any fish. But of course, they answered him in a big resounding, very simple, no. Because it's been a long night. And they got to pay for this rent a boat. And so he walks around, I think. I like to imagine more space in the stories than the stories allow. He walks around. They're sitting there like, this is guy I think he is, man. I wonder if he's the guy we're renting the boat from. It doesn't matter, right? Let's just stay here until we catch fish. Stop talking. And the voice from the shore says, cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you'll find some. And I guarantee you this led to a long conversation because this is a big old net. I don't know if you've ever seen these nets that they use in Galilee. I have. They're not like, oh, okay. I mean, they're work to pull in a net. And they're like, why, why, would we, why would we do that? And somebody's like, because we have no fish anyways, man. He just pointed that out to you. Let's just cast the boat on the other side of the fish. This is how we got in the situation in the first place. Jesus calls. You're like, let's just do it. Let's think through what we're going to do. Let's have a process. Fine, fine. We have no fish. They start dragging in the net. Guy on the shore is just sitting there. Maybe he talks to a kid that passes by, right? I don't know. He does something other than hover, which is what you're all imagining, right? Like, mm, mm, right? I think he throws stones, plays with sand. He does something, right? He's Jesus, and he's cool. He does cool things. Starts doing cartwheels down the down side of the thing. Flat backflips. Oh, my God. This guy's unbelievable. Right? You don't know what he did. You don't know. Whatever it was, it was incredible. So they cast it on the other side. <laughs> I'm going to get in so much trouble for that after service. Ah, so they cast it, and now they, fish came. There's a tug, and they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of the fish. And then the disciple whom Jesus loved says to Peter, I'm pretty sure that's Jesus. And when Peter heard it, he turns and he looks, and right then Jesus does something that gives him away, right? Like kick the water like he always does with his feet. Some sort of body language, because spending three years with Jesus, you'd recognize what he walked and talked like. He does something, right? And Peter goes, it's him. And immediately, 
like everybody else, he reenacts. He puts on his clothes and he dives into the water. When Peter heard it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment for he was stripped for work and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat. Dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from land, but about a hundred yards off. And for me, what it kind of tells me is because he was in his clothes and because he was reenacting, like they were almost the exact same speed going to shore. It's what I imagine. Like Peter literally up and down, gagging, full clothes, and the disciples like, why do you always gotta jump in the water? It's just and they're just rowing and they're rowing, right? And they get to the shore and they walk ashore. And this is so beautiful. This is so beautiful. And the, the disciples, now 10, walk ashore all dry. Jesus, only his feet are wet because he was standing in the waves, I imagine. And there's Peter, soaking wet again. It's like, it's like we did it all again. But this time Jesus has a plan. There's fire ready. There's coals, there's fish and bread. And so he says, verse 9, when they got on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. And so here they are now sitting in, around a fire, right, about the size of a small fishing boat at the time, all sitting around the fire, dry, 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 feet wet soaking. Same story, eating bread and fish, which was the meal they had prior to the earlier story, by the way. Oh. Right, Jesus fed everybody with bread and fish. Then Jesus took them all out in the boat. Rewind the message if you didn't get it at this time, but you, you should get it. And there's a storm raging around this fire. But it's all within Peter. See, Peter knows as the water falls from his hair, he knows as everybody else is dry, he knows as Jesus' feet are barely wet, that he did it again. He knows he reenacted again. And there's this storm of emotion inside him, this trauma that brings doubt into his life again. And he reenacts the, the denying of Jesus, and he reenacts the beating Jesus took, and he wasn't there. And he reenacts the storm, and it's just everything that you're dealing with and that I'm dealing with because of the failures that this world has promised to bring into our lives. And eventually a piece of bread comes below Peter's face again, and he takes the bread, and it's the hands of Jesus because he knows the hands of Jesus because they have a scar in them from the cross. And he looks up at Jesus, and Jesus has a conversation with them. Verse 15, Jesus says to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said, feed my lambs. And he said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. I'm just a failure. I'm just broken. I'm just an addict. I'm just someone who goes back to the same stuff. And Jesus waits. And then he says to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter is grieved because of his failure and his sin. And he says to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything, and you know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. 
Jesus is helping Peter to realize his own reenactment, and he is redeeming it. He is saying to Peter, let me redeem this brokenness in your life that you keep reenacting. He is saying, do you believe me when I say come out of the boat? Do you believe me when I say put the net on the other side? He's saying, do you believe me when I promise to redeem the things you keep going back to? Three times he asks, do you believe me? Do you believe me? Do you believe the words I say when I say to stay, to maintain, to be distant, to step out, to be, to, do you believe me? And three times Peter has to address his full human brokenness and through his doubt that he knows, Jesus knows, proclaim yes. And that's why at the end he's like you know that I do but I don't you know that I want to you know that you know all this and then Jesus gives him his assignment go and feed be the rock upon which I build the church the chapter goes on Peter becomes this man of faith that is unstoppable because for once in his life he realizes that it's his job to get out and to grope in the dark and to yes swallow water and yes hurt and yes struggle but the only thing Peter has to do is sit soaking wet at the feet of Jesus and say save me you know everything this is what we as Christians are called to do. We are called to cry out inside the storms of our life, save me. And do you know why this is so important? It's not only for you. It's so that you can be someone who can enter someone else's storm and not get blown away. Do you know why you don't get blown away? Because you have been already down below. You've raised your hand. You've proclaimed, Jesus, I need you. I need you. I need you. Jesus has grabbed you by the hand and pulled you up soaking wet. You're still marked by all this world and stuff. You're not perfect yet. This doesn't happen till the next kingdom. But man, when you're held by Jesus, when you're held by Jesus, not you hold Jesus, by the way. It's a little note, put it down. When you're held by Jesus, then do you know what you get to be out in that storm? Somebody who reaches out and helps other people. Somebody who enters other people's storms. Somebody who walks into other people's lives. Somebody who just doesn't show up and play church. Somebody who actually says, man, these boats, these things are garbage. They rot. They spin in circles. They're full of people who are just as confused as me. I'm heading out. You could drown. I could. I could. You know what? I will. This life is done. I will drown. And when it's almost over, I'm going to cry out to Jesus Christ and he's going to grab my hand and I'm going to spend the rest of my life being held by him, reaching out to every single person, crying out to Jesus. I'm not going to head for shore when people are hurt. I'm going to stay invested in their lives. I said this before and I'm going to say it again. If you don't want to be a part of a church like that, go to a different church. That's not what this place is going to be uh, full of, people who are unwilling to face storms with other people. We're going to sit up here. We're going to do what Dave did in worship and courageously say, I struggle. And if you can't struggle like that, go find a church. There's a ton of churches around here. There's a ton of beautiful churches doing beautiful things. But we're called to go into the storm. And it's scary. And it's going to cost. And I'd rather go into that storm with 50 dedicated people than with 1,000 people who are scared to death to get out of the boat. So if I have anything to do about it, that's where we're headed. Because I feel Jesus calling us out there. Do we know exactly what it looks like? No, he's a little, he's a little <laughs> off in the distance sometimes. But he gives buildings. Do I know what kind of people that's going to bring? No. But am I worried about it? No. 
Because this is where he called us, and this is where he called you. And so the stuff in your life right now that you're reenacting, maybe you should stop and instead redeem. Maybe you need to fill your life with redemption instead of just doing the same stuff that your mama taught you, that your dad taught you, that your, that your culture taught you. Instead of blaming everybody else around you for these big old waves, why don't you just stop, get out of the boat of your own self-pity and self-righteousness, and step into the waves that are going to hurt. You don't have to do it alone. A whole bunch of people being held by Jesus are willing to put their arms around you. Can you imagine how many people we could reach being held by Jesus if all of us decided that was, that was the life we're going to live? Could you imagine what we could give away? Could you imagine? I mean, those storms be blowing people all over the place. And this little place right here will be reaching and grabbing and saving and holding. No one will even know what to do with you. And the soaked, more soaked, more wet, more broken you are, the better you are for grabbing, the better you are for storm surviving because you live so long out there. So you've been addicted. Perfect, I'll take you. You've been abused, I'll take you. You rage, you're in. You're an idiot, welcome. <laughs> you're prideful. You're mean. You're self-righteous. You're lazy. I'll take you. This is what Jesus says. And this is what people want to hear what you're hearing from me. But you gotta, you got to fall into the arms of Jesus in order to reach out to people like that or they will pull you under. But I have been ruined by him. He don't have me by the hand. He has me by the neck, folks. <laughs> And my job is to stand on this little stage, in this little school, in this little part of our world, and proclaim that Jesus wants you to be a part, but he wants all of you. Even the stuff you're not willing to give up, he wants it all. I want to give you some time to think about that. I want to spend just one song reflecting on that. And I'm going to come up and close this. Let's just rest in that discomfort. Let's just rest in that awkwardness. Let's just as a church realize that God's calling us into something more than ourselves. He's calling us into something beyond us. That it's going to require a big risk. It's going to require a big part of our story to be revealed. Let's just rest in how that hurts, how scary that is, how suffocating that is. And then let's have time to make a decision to choose to grope within that darkness for faith, as faith in Him. We have such an incredible opportunity to be something we've never been, to be husbands we've never been, to be wives we've never been, to be children we've never been, to be loved like we've never been. We have such an incredible opportunity to be broken at the feet of Jesus, to raise our hands and proclaim, I need you. I believe what you say, God. I believe what you mean. 